0: on iPads, tweens on smartphones, teenagers on social media. Screens are now ubiquitous in American childhood, and parents in schools are struggling to keep up. What effects is digital technology having on our children? Are there ways to reap the benefits of educational apps and games while avoiding technology's downsides? And as the world grows more connected by the hour, how can parents set reasonable boundaries? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Naomi schaefer Riley senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, mother of three, and the author of the new book, Be the Parent, Please. Stop banning seesaws and start banning Snapchat. You can find both an excerpt from and a review of the new book at the journal's website, educationnext.org. Naomi, welcome to the Ednext podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So this is an incredibly timely book. Many American parents, and I include myself in that group, feel as if we're fighting a daily battle with technology for our children's attention and with our children for how much screen time to allow. If that's the case, we parents appear to be losing. The numbers you report in the book are pretty startling. So to get us started, just how much time are kids spending on devices?
1: Uh, Well, between the ages of uh, eight and 12, uh, kids are spending an average of more than five hours on screens per day, and that does not include uh, doing their homework or schoolwork. And uh, once you get up to the teenage years, it's more than eight hours a day. Um, and those numbers are, are pretty, um, pretty consistent over the last few years. A number of different surveys have reported uh, similar numbers.
0: And you know, one of the things that I like about the book is that you emphasize that screens are posing temptations not just for children, but also for us as parents, which I think helps to explain just how much time kids are ending up spending on devices. What are the temptations that screens... You know, pose for parents. Well, the temptations
1: are incessant, and they really start from the time that our children are are very small. Um, and I think what you you see immediately is the question of, um, you know, how can you keep, uh, you know, a, a, a toddler or even uh, you know a baby younger than that uh, sort of um, entertained, and how can you keep them. Um, uh, calm and happy while you try to get things accomplished. This is kind of the question for I think most parents, whether they're working parents or staying at stay-at-home parents, is uh, you know how can you you balance all these things that have to get done during the day? And you know the second the the child you know starts crying, you know everything kind of gets thrown overboard. Um, I remember I was uh, talking to a, a woman I knew. Uh, who had children before I did uh, quite a number of years ago. And, you know, she and I were both uh, sort of type A personality people who like to make lists at the beginning of the day and then cross things off. And uh, she said, well, you know, the thing is with uh, with having young children around, uh, she said, I make a list sometimes at the beginning of the day, but nothing gets crossed off. Um so if if you're in the situation where a few things have to get crossed off, you know what are you going to do, and to what extent are we going to rely on our phones and tablets and televisions in order to get get us through the day um But I think that the temptations now are so far expanded, not just because we have these different kinds of devices and all different kinds of entertainment, but because it's portable. So, you know, it used to be, sure, kids would harass you that they wanted to watch television and you would be tempted to turn it on because you wanted to make dinner. Um, But now that the temptation follows you every whenever you're out of the house, if you're in line at the supermarket or in the car um, or waiting for a meal to arrive at a diner. And I think that uh, those make the temptations um, much greater.
0: Now, one of the challenges in offering advice to parents as to how to respond to those temptations is the lack of evidence on long-term effects. After all, the mobile technology that you just described is fairly recent. I believe the iPhone debuted in 2007. So what do we actually know here? And is it fair to say that some of your advice is an application of the precautionary principle?
1: (laughs) Yeah, actually, I sort of think it's funny that parents have this sort of let's wait and see approach to technology uh, when it comes to their children because they don't take that approach when it comes to so many other child-related products. So, you know, we want to make sure that the pajamas we buy our children are tested, you know, hundreds of times to make sure that they're not flammable and that we buy the safest car seat and, and, you know, toys are recalled if, you know, one child in a million happens to swallow a small part. Um, But when it comes to technology, I think parents just say, oh, well, we don't really know anything for sure yet and there have been no uh, why wide scale long term uh longitudinal studies on this stuff so um, you know, I think that, that the, the studies that are out there, um, you know, all all sort of point in a similar direction. I mean, I think it's very clear that there are attentional problems that are associated uh, with a lot of screen time. Um, certainly uh, uh, obesity is an issue, uh, just kind of general uh, health and making sure that, um, you know, kids are moving around, uh, you know, that, that is kind of um, thwarted when they're sitting on a couch. Um, I think that you definitely see... Uh, um the The question is you know how what are we what are we substituting uh what what are we using screen time instead of? Um, and we're definitely using it instead of physical activity instead of reading, um, you know instead of social interactions, and you certainly see in the studies that uh, there are significant effects on kids' ability to read social and emotional cues from other people uh, if they spend too much time on screens. Um, and I really tried to press the researchers who done these studies on these issues because, you know, they're not obviously in academic studies necessarily in the business of giving advice to parents. Um, and I think that they're also, my sense, and I found this a little surprising, um, both researchers and doctors are very reluctant to tell parents what they think is the truth about screens because they don't want to get into the business of what we now call mommy shaming. Um, they don't want to appear too judgmental because they feel like parents feel guilty enough about, you know, not giving their kid organic food and all sorts of other things, and why should they add to our burdens? Um, but I think that parents deserve the truth about this stuff, and even if the, the, the studies are not all in yet, uh, I think most parents actually do have the gut feeling that their kids are spending too much time on these devices and that they can see the effects very easily if they pay attention.
0: And what about the benefit side of the equation? Certainly this same technology that can sort of substitute for activity and other healthy uh, pursuits also can provide access to educational apps and games maybe that are more engaging than traditional ways of learning. What did you find when you looked for sort of evidence on the other side of the equation?
1: Evidence seemed thin, at least when it came to the educational uh, apps. You know, a lot of parents are starting to use these at a very early age, they feel pressure um, that if they want their kid to be able to get ahead, they need to expose them uh, to these uh, devices and these apps very early on. Um, and there's even kind of a funny thing where parents, you know, talk about how they're doing it because they feel that their kid is very good at this, you know, that they're giving their child more technology because they seem comfortable with it and, and look how fast they picked it up. Um, and if you you talk to enough developers of these programs and these devices you know they'll tell you uh you know that's really nothing to brag about because the the technology is really designed so that 2 year olds can understand it um so i just you know i, I think it's a a, no, a good note of caution for parents who just think that um uh, they should hand over the technology because their kids seem at home with it um, you know, I do think that there's obviously, you know, I, I'm not trying to suggest that it's not great that there's all this information out there that kids have access to, that they can look up and have access to, you know, all of the, the world's libraries with the touch of a button. I think the question is how are we actually using it? Um, and I think the educational apps. Um, you know, the the question is, are kids learning more, you know, addition or subtraction because, you know, a rocket is launching or fireworks are going off um, when they get that 2 plus 2 is 4? Um, you know, there are some, some apps I found that I think that were, you know, sort of more creative um, and, and required kids to, um, to to sort of test out more creative solutions to problems. Um, but I, I think that a lot of parents, uh, you know, just see oh, educational app, and they look at it and they think, oh, this must be superior or, you know, in some way qualitatively different than just sitting your child down with flashcards. Uh, And I'm not sure that that's true.
0: So parents aren't the only ones who are making decisions in this area. Schools are as well. And uh, I think it's fair to say that your chapter on how (laughs) schools are using technology currently Uh, is fairly skeptical. The title is Think American Education Can't Get Worse, Put iPads in the Classroom. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what you saw, or the mistakes, I guess, you saw schools making in this area.
1: Well, there's kind of a, what I think is a sort of vicious cycle going on here. There are a lot of players involved here that all have an incentive toward more technology in the classroom. So um, it's not just that big tech, you know, and there have been a lot of stories on this recently, want to push technology into classroom settings because they want to get kids used to it and more interested in it, and that they see this as a huge, and that they see education generally as a huge market for expanding their products. Um, but I think it's also parents see this technology in the schools, and they assume that it's evidence of, you know, their school having the latest and greatest thing. I, you know, I call it kind of the shiny new product approach to showing that you, your kids are learning something. Um, and it is very hard to demonstrate, you know, at back-to-school night what your kids are getting, but if you can show the parents all the neat new computers and tablets that they have, you know, maybe that will, um, you know, to, to help them, you know, allay their fears that the district, you know, next door is not doing better than they are. Um so I think that, that you know those are those are definitely issues. Um you know, I before I go on, you know, I should say that in the classroom I think that the the one thing that technology has the benefit of being able to add if it's done correctly is a certain kind of individualization, which is very hard Uh, you know, to replicate with one teacher and 30 students. Um, You know, if you can use technology to have kids working closer to their own pace and challenging them a little bit more or giving extra help to students who are a little bit behind the curve, um, you know, more power to you. I think that I've been in blended learning classrooms that, you know, have done this very well. Um, But I don't think that that's the general approach you see. Um, I think more typical is like, uh, Maine's one-to-one iPad program, uh, which in the you know 10 or 12 years that it's been in operation has really shown very little uh, in the way of, of improvement of educational outcomes. And I was amused to see uh, a couple of years ago that this novelist named Nicholson Baker came out with a book called Substitute in which he talked about his experience being a substitute teacher in Maine's public schools. And one of the major factors Uh, In his sort of diary of classroom life, was the constant distraction coming from this one to one iPad program. Um, Students were constantly saying, Oh, they couldn't connect to the internet, or, um, you know, or they were, you know, he would ask a question and they would shout out answers that they had looked up online, um, or kids were just completely looking at inappropriate material on their iPad in the middle of class. Um, so I think that you know, part part of the the, the way that technology is going to make things worse is by the distraction of it. And I should say that um, the, the studies show that when you take technology out of the classroom, when you, take, when you ban cell phones from schools, uh, when you take laptops out of classrooms and force students to take notes in a different way, educational outcomes tend to improve the most for kids who are at the bottom uh, end, of the, end of the spectrum. So I think that there is, there is a lot of improvement to be made in some of these classrooms if we can remove those distractions.
0: Yeah, your advice to parents with respect to how schools are using technology is to question everything, to really force schools to answer the question of how are they using technology to accomplish something that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. And I think that really gets at the the heart of the of the matter.
1: Yeah, I, I think for, for parents who are looking at these new Chromebooks that their kids have brought home, uh, they should not only be asking why they're coming home, but I think they should also be very specific in trying to find out how the teachers and how the schools want these to be used i mean is it that your child is now supposed to look up all the answers on Google? Uh, are they given being given instructions about how to do appropriate research online? Have these computers been equipped with, you know, filters to help parents kind of modulate what is coming into their homes? Um, you know, should all of their homework really be done on these computers, or is it useful to have some of it be handwritten as well? You know, especially, I think, you know, in terms of math, it's really interesting. I mean, my um, my children are given this program called IXL, uh, which provides them a lot of math problems to do on the computer. But in order to calculate these math problems, the vast majority of them are just sitting there with a piece of paper next to them writing out their calculations. And a lot of parents are trying to figure out, wait, is, that, is my kids supposed to be doing this in their head? Are they supposed to be writing it out? Is it helpful to write it out? And if it's helpful to write it out, why is it being done on the computer anyway? Is it just an assessment tool? Um, so I think really just try to get schools to spell out not just why is the technology there, but very specifically how they want it used by students at home.
0: Now, your book's subtitle advises parents and presumably others not just to ban Snapchat, but also to stop banning seesaws. What does that refer to, and how does it fit into your advice on this issue?
1: Well, we live in this age of helicopter parenting, and I think that uh, technology has actually become a tool to make us uh, a kind of surveillance tool, in a sense, and a way of keeping our children closer to us without having them object. You know, your kid may want to go outside and may want to go do other things, but if you can say, oh, well, if you just stay here or if you just, you know, um, don't don't, don't go do something where I'm not sure what it is you're up to, I'll give you this iPad instead. And then the kids don't object and the parents feel like, well, this is a, a fine compromise that they have made. Um, but in fact, I think that there are a lot of Aspects of childhood, of character building in childhood, that are being missed when we give our kids devices instead of uh, the the greater independence that they need. Uh, There was a a friend of mine I quote in the book who had two children, uh, very close together, and she, uh, when they were, you know, when they were toddlers, she had this question of, well, I, I come home from work, and you know, should I stick my kids? who are kind of in the mischief-making stage in front of the TV while I'm making dinner, and she decided no, and she sort of set up a little kind of elaborate gate, you know, system and put a bunch of toys in the middle, and she referred to it as her circle of neglect which I liked uh, as as a phrase, and I thought, you know, this is really kind of what we're supposed to do as parents. Over time, we're supposed to expand our circle of neglect in this way that our job is not to constantly provide entertainment for children and make sure that they're never bored. It's supposed to, you know, give them structure and, you know, uh, books and, you know, maybe some toys to make sure that if they want the option, they have the option of doing those things. Uh, but that they are supposed to kind of create not only their own entertainment but also um, you know be able to make decisions for themselves as they get older and the, the The tether that comes with screen time I think really gets in the way of kids being able to do that. In later years, it's much more literal where, you know, they're constantly tethered to us with this, with the communication that goes back and forth from the screen. You know, they're saying, you know, come pick me up in five minutes or mom, the worst thing just happened to me at school or, um, you know, th- these sorts of things which never provide us with enough distance from the kids to let them have their independence.
0: I'm gra- glad you mentioned that because I found one of the very interesting themes of the book to be that perhaps as parents were afraid of allowing our children some experiences that are often perceived to be negative but might have some value. Uh, You sort of note that our culture sends messages about parenting that our kids need to be occupied, engaged, and satisfied at all times, and you're almost writing in defense of some boredom and perhaps even some loneliness that shouldn't be avoided by allowing ourselves to be perpetually distracted.
1: I think the research out there on boredom is fascinating, just sort of what happens when you're allowed to daydream occasionally and, and uh, the, the creativity that comes from not having the constant stimulus of a screen. And people have asked me, well, what's the difference between being engrossed in an iPad and being engrossed in a book? And I think the book provides these... Natural points at which you sort of stop and look up and wonder about the characters, and there's nothing constantly prompting you to look back at the page except your interest in the book, perhaps. Um, but I think that the 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 need to entertain and that, that that parents feel and the need to make sure that their kids are never uncomfortable, um, it, it starts very young, and um, and and screens are just such an easy way to relieve it, uh, but I but I don't think in the long run that that's very helpful for them. And I also think that uh, it's preventing them from developing the kind of social skills that they need. Um, I've had kids uh, you know, come over to my house for, for play dates with my children, and they'll walk in the door. One young boy walked in the door a, a couple of years ago, and he immediately, upon walking in, asked for a device. And I looked at him, and this was probably was a little too mean. It went over his head. But I said, um, no, you are the device. Uh, the, the whole point of you being here is that you and my son are going to interact with each other and play. And I think that, um, you know, we, we have to think about the fact that this, this was what was done in a previous generation. And I try to encourage parents before they give the, the screen to their children to think about, what, would have, what they would have done without the screen, what their parents or grandparents might have done without the screen instead. And is that possible? Maybe it's not. Um, and is it, is it worthwhile? And I think in many cases it is.
0: So as the parent of a 10-year-old, I have to close the interview by just asking you one last question, which is, when should I get my son a smartphone? <laughs>
1: Um, I I do advise people to put it off as long as possible. There's a new campaign out there you've probably heard of called Wait Until Eighth, which encourages parents to wait until eighth grade before getting their kid a smartphone and even then uh, says, you know, you might want to consider a flip phone. Um, I do think that a lot of parents uh think that the, the that 10 is usually the age at which parents start to think i need to give my kid a phone in order to coordinate pickups and drop offs and that sort of thing because they're uh a little bit more independent now and they're you know they 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 they're, they're at places and we need to we need to communicate in this way and i think if that's the case uh you know one option is certainly the flip phone another option is a watch Uh, You know, we're going to meet here at 5 o'clock, and I'll be outside, and if you have any problems, you need to find a a responsible adult and tell them that you need to contact me. Um, Giving them unlimited access to the Internet as a solution to the problem of picking them up from swim practice seems to me like overkill. But I also think that... um, Parents who are giving their kids smartphones need to be willing to have some serious conversations with them about what's available on the Internet, Um, and for that I mean everything from pornography to social media, about what the responsible use of a phone is really like. All of these parents who are upset that their kids are getting caught up in these vast nets of, uh, you know, Uh, nude nude pictures being sent around a school you know 300 kids phones are confiscated you know these are all kids who didn't understand that they weren't supposed to send and receive such pictures or that they did uh, you know they were told that and didn't take it seriously so part of this has to do with when do you really trust your kid to be able to make those kind of decisions Uh, and i would say that you know 10 was certainly not that age for me, and by the way, neither is 11, so we'll see going
0: forward. Well, as Mike Picilli, who reviewed your book in Education Next, said uh, you should not read those sections on the dangers that a smartphone opens up for your children if you want to sleep again soon. Uh, And you just said, you know, you have to ask the question, do you trust your kids? But in the book, you advise parents to ask themselves, do you trust their peers? That really, uh, it's not just, the individual child making decisions but really they're part of a, a community
1: yeah I think that uh, I, I compare it to the uh, the issue of getting your kid a driver's license you know parents always say oh I, I trust you I just don't trust all the other drivers on the road and I think that's there. there's an apt comparison there uh, but it's it's also that There is – there has to be this element of vigilance, even if you trust your kid uh, to make, you know, mostly the right decisions. um, A lot of parents say to me, oh, my goodness, it's, you know, so much time and energy to, like, look at their social media accounts and keep up with their texting and – well, you know what? If you don't have the time or the energy, then don't do it. You know, why open that that box if you're not prepared to do it? i don't I don't have the time or the energy. Um I've talked to lots of different parents who who've asked me, you know what is the best filter for my child's you know computer or tablet or phone? and And I just say, you know there there is no foolproof filter out there. There is no way to really stop this flow of information um, short of really uh, you know cutting them off from it in some way or or really monitoring that. I have you know, talked to parents who say, I give my kid a phone, but I make sure that they know it's my phone. And I will pick it up at random and look at the things on it. It is not a place for them to expect privacy from me uh, or from or from other adults. And these are the kind of messages that you have to embed in instill in, in, in instilling your kids. Because frankly, they don't seem to understand for one reason or another um, what what posting things on social media and, and texting things to other people, what kind of effect that has. There was a, a story a pastor told me several years ago. Uh, he was friends with a whole bunch of the kids in his congregation on Facebook, and they had accepted his friendship, or they had invited him to be their friend. And they were posting all sorts of things on Facebook that were wholly inappropriate and and embarrassing in some ways. And he went one day and he printed all these messages out, these Facebook updates, and he enlarged them and he put them on the walls of the auditorium. And the kids were utterly horrified. You know, he had violated their privacy. And he said, you were putting all this out there for people to see and you don't seem to understand what the effect of that is or who your audience is. And I think a lot of times it's very hard for kids to fathom
0: that. My guest today has been Naomi Schaefer Riley, Senior Fellow at the Independent Women's Forum and the author of Be the Parent, Please. You can find both an excerpt from and a review of her book on our website at educationnext.org. Naomi, congratulations on the book. Thanks for it, and thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you. It's great talking to you. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your content so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive, and especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners, and more listeners find us.